The Birch Bark House, Chapter 3, is called The Return. After she returned with the scissors, Omakayas quietly took up the deer bone from her mother's skin bag and began working on the moose hide without being asked. Her mother looked at her in some surprise, but said nothing. Angeline said that she had had meant to do the work, but Omakayas merely shook her head. Go for a swim, she told her sister. See what the waves brought to the shore last night. Catch some crayfish. Ashaganisha. Watch out for their claws. I don't mind helping. Angeline and Mama looked at Omakayas as though they couldn't have heard right. But when Omakayas nodded to signal that she meant what she said, and Mama nodded, Angeline started with delight. She had to do grown-up work now every day, and she rarely had free time to play. Angeline looked hopefully at her mother, who waved her out toward the lake shore. Off she ran, skipping and bounding in her thin summer moccasins, her soft old trade cloth dress fluttering. Baby Niwo was sleeping in his tikinagan. Little brother Pinch was killing his willow doll men over and over with a rock. Omakayas concentrated now on the work beneath her hands. She needed to think about what had just happened to her. Boring work was just what she needed. Her mind could wander. She sighed, irritated by the smell and buzzing flies. At least there was some breeze that day to blow away the smell. While scraping the hide, she let her thoughts roam. The longer she thought about her encounter with the mother bear, the more Omakayas was convinced that something she did not understand had passed between the two of them. Not words. Perhaps they had communicated in smells. Or maybe in the language of feelings. Her terror, the bear's pity. Perhaps it was her own grandmother's advice that had saved her life. Noko Miss had told her that the bear must be addressed with the greatest respect as a treasured relative, that the bear had human qualities and nobody quite understood the bear, but that bears understood humans quite well. When a bear was killed and its skin was off, Omakayas knew it looked fearfully like a person. She'd also heard that bears laugh and cry just as humans do. Grandma had once seen a bear rocking its young in her arms, just as a human mother rocks its young. Nobody on the island ever tossed the bones of a bear aside. Every bear bone was gathered respectfully and buried altogether. At a bear feast, the bear's skull was ribboned and set out on a good red cloth, spoken to, honored. Yes, there was something about what had happened that made Omakayas very quiet. As she scraped at the hide, nicking bits of meat and gristle from the surface, she began to get all empty and peculiar and faint inside. A thought was coming. A voice approached. This happened to her sometimes. A dizzy feeling that would pass over her. If she attended to it closely, once it was gone, she would know something a little extra, as though she'd overheard two spirits talking. She kept scraping, gritting her teeth, and held on to her thoughts. For once again, she could feel the presence of the powerful mother bear at her shoulder. Although there were no words, and although there was no odor of her presence, no bear sounds, no tracks, Omakayas's heart lightened. Turning from her work, she knew the bear had visited her. She knew the bear had followed her home. She knew that when she needed the bear, she would be able to call on the bear. The bear had understood something she had said, and she had understood something the bear had thought, and although she couldn't tell exactly what, 
Omakayas turned back to her task with her hand clear and her hands cheerful. She worked so hard all through that afternoon, and her grandma, watching her keenly, made a great fuss over the work Omakayas had done on the hide. She said Omakayas had done as well as a full-grown woman. Her mother promised her a very special pair of winter moccasins, and Angeline even braided her hair with one of her own red ribbons. Niwo <clears throat> means fourth, and that was what they called the baby. <clears throat> But soon, Grandma said, the baby would have to have a name. The tiny boy was a spirit, so far, who had come to live here and was deciding whether or not to stay. Grandma told Omakayas to be careful with him, little baby Niwo, because he might decide to go back to the other place if he thought his big sister was mean. So Omakayas was very gentle with the baby. She rocked him in the branch held to Kinnegun with great consideration. She gathered spongy moss and old oak punk to stuff into the cradle board and use as a diaper. She twirled and dangled the little web of sinew and the tobacco ties and bitten birch bark pit pretties that Grandma tied onto the head guard of the tikinagun. She fed Niwo tiny bits of the best food when Mama wasn't looking. She felt in her heart streams of love for the baby pouring through and she begged her mother to let her take Niwo out and cart him to the lake on her hip. But her mother smiled and touched Omakayas's hair gently and shook her head. Gawin, no. She was too young. Grandma gave her the willow doll instead, told her to let the baby sleep, directed her to play with little Pinch. But she knew what that would mean. Pinch would jump on her back and yell, Nadai, get moving! He would pull her braids. He would use her as a practice bow and arrow target. He would tip over the rock children and rock people she made of specially piled lake pebbles. He would destroy her rock people village down by the beach. No, she did not want to play with him. Little Pinch? Never. Half the summer went by quickly after the visit from the bear. Omakayas stayed thoughtful. She helped hoe the corn patch almost every day and never complained. She was kind, hardworking, patient, but she was also lost in her own thoughts. She startled when spoken to, went to sleep early and slept long, dreamed hard but couldn't remember the night's adventures. And she also had those dizzy moments that her grandma said meant she was special to the spirits. One day her mother said to her grandmother, if she wasn't so young, I'd give her the charcoal. Grandma's deep and far-seeing eyes took in Omakayas. She seemed to see her granddaughter from the inside out. She watched Omakayas for a long time, then shook her head. No, not yet. When a mother put charcoal on her child's face, it was a sign that the child was ready to starve for a vision, for power. A child with a blackened face didn't eat for days and sometimes lived out in the woods alone until the spirits took pity on him or her and helped out with a special vision, a special visit, some information. But Omakayas was too young according to Grandma, so Mama stirred the fire and worried. She had a lot to think about anyway, including a name for baby Niwo, who was getting restless, trying to crawl out of the cradle board, acting as though he were anxious to have that name. There were seven or eight people on the island who possessed the right to give names. Auntie Muskrat was one. Day Thunder, Swan, Old Man Migwans, and an ancient lady named Wow Banekwe, knew 
how to dream names. Mama had asked if each of them had tried, but not one of them had yet dreamed about a name for Nemo. For some reason, said Auntie Muskrat, that dream won't come. She even slept and fasted in the woods for a name, but the spirits were stubborn. Old Wabanikwe, who dreamed many names, had no name for the baby either, but she had said she would give no other name until she found one for the boy. She searched her dreams. Meantime, baby Niwo grew. Omakayas decided in secret that the naming was up to her. In play, when just the two of them were together, she gave her little brother names, bird names. Chickadee, she called him, Apichi, Robin, Little Junko, Sparrow, Grouse Chick. He seemed to like all of his bird names, and when he heard them, he grinned and waved his chubby arms in delight. Omakayas could hardly resist Niwo and played with him as often as she allowed as she was allowed. There was something about the way he looked at her, so sadly with big soft eyes that made her want to cuddle him tight in her arms. There was something about the way he smiled when she made a face, surprised, so grateful, that made her kiss and touch his hair with great passion and indignation in her, in her heart. He should have a name, and clearly he wanted out of his tekinagun. Amakayas wanted to help him to freedom. Her chance came one morning later on in the summer. Omakaas's mother, sister, grandma, and little Pinch all wanted to go into the village and see the big canoes that had arrived to unload furs at the traders. Omakaas's father, Mikwam, wasn't with these voyagers, but Mama hoped that they might have news of him. The thought itself made Mama so anxious that she got ready to go off in haste, though baby Niwa was still sleeping. Why don't you leave Niwo with me? Omakayas asked at the last moment. I, I don't want to go. I can take care of him. You'll get there faster. She saw Mama's thoughts falter. You don't want to go? I don't. Angeline and Grandma were already halfway down the path. Little Pinch was tugging on Mama's legging, whining for something to eat. All right, Mama decided. We'll be right back. Now don't do anything. Just rock him, Omakayas, and play with him if he wakes up. Don't do anything. Oh, of course not, said Omakayas, trying hard not to show how excited she was to have her little baby brother Niwo all to herself. She made herself tall and acted as, a grown, as grown up as possible, rocked him with one hand gently while she waved goodbye to Mama, and kept rocking long after her mother rounded the corner and disappeared into the ferny forest growth. He didn't wake. She quit rocking just as his slumbering face. His lashes were so long and stiff, his little chin so chubby, she wanted to stroke it. The skin on his cheeks so fine and delicate and soft, she could hardly keep from brushing her lips across them. Tufts of silken hair stood out all over his head, and his breath was still sweet with milk. She touched him very gently. Baby Niwo. Chickadee. The name popped into her mind. Today I'll call you Chickadee, she said. His eyes opened as though he understood. His look was bright and filled with secret jokes. He gazed up into her face. For a long time they looked at one another. It was perfect. It was love. And then his face crumpled. One fat tear squeezed from his eye. His lower lip shook. Suddenly his mouth flew open and he bawled. Amakas was so close, so dreamy and happy, that the force of it nearly flipped her back head over heels. 
His squall was like a whirlwind, like a sudden wash of freezing spray, like a harsh wind, weather like a hot wall of sound. Shush, 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 Amakaius rocked and muttered, shushed, hummed, and sang an old lullaby her mother used. Nothing worked. Baby Niwo screamed louder with increasing force. Amakaius was alarmed. She never heard him scream like this, had she? What was wrong? Was something? A biting fly, spider, tick, bee? Something stinging or biting him inside the tight binding of his tikkina gun? Only one way to find out. Unbind him. And that was forbidden. Still, as Niwo's miserable and now hysterical sobbing continued, and even got stronger, she decided to make a grown-up decision and take Niwo from his cradle board. And so she did. She undid the twist of vine that held him inside the beaded velvet wrapping. She carefully untied and spread the embroidered wrapping, then took out his diaper moss and brushed him off like a root pulled from the ground. He was naked, of course, but it was a warm day, so she lifted him immediately into her arms, still weeping, and brought him to a sunny place just beyond the house, behind the trees, out near the water. Amakaya suddenly realized that Niwo had quieted. Her ears were still ringing with the sounds of his cries. Seagulls wailed. A skinny shorebird ran up and down the sand, busily pecking. Niwo brandished his chubby fists, blithered at the water, blasted spit excitedly at the sparkling waves, and turned his melting and mischief-filled eyes upon his sister to tell her that she was the most wonderful human on earth. She settled him beside her on a warm stretch of rock, put a stick in his hand. He looked at the stick, tested it between his gums. He had one pitiful little tooth he was very proud of, and he tried to use it to bite the stick. The stick was too strong for Niwo. He banged it purposefully at the little circles of green lichen scattered on the stone's surface. When the stick broke in two, he yelled in sheer joy and continued beating the rock with the short end of it. Amakaius was so happy that she laughed out loud. You'll be a drummer, a singer, I'll dance for you, she said. Although it was wrong of her to have set Niwo free, it was very obvious that he had always wanted to be banging a stick on a rock and feeling the warm sun on his face. They sat together for a good long while. Omakaas tossed stones into the water, sending up splashes to surprise her little brother, and he in turn seemed to try to talk to her in serious burps and babbles about what, was, what it was like to be a baby packed into a carrier hanging on a branch all day long, never allowed to throw rocks or stuff leaves into his mouth. Omakaas thought she heard him tell her this was the best day of his life so far. She thought she heard him tell her that she was his very favorite sister, and he liked her very much, much better than Angeline. He definitely said that to her, <laughs> that he would for never forget this, and that when they were very old, he would stare at her the way he was doing now, and laugh, and they'd both be toothless again. <laughs> but I have to put you back now, or else I'll get in trouble. Omakaya said. Regretfully, she lifted him into her arms, a delicious baby weight, and carried him jouncing back into the clearing and to the house. As she laid him back into his wrappings and began to lace him in, his face crumpled in betrayal and he opened his mouth. Quickly, Omakayas reached into her pocket. The remains of the treat from Old Tallow was still there. She popped the last bit of the lump of maple sugar onto his tongue. His mouth closed. A look of blissful surprise came over his face. His body relaxed. 
by the time Amakaas had laid, had laced him back into it, the Tekinagun, his eyelids were drooping, and by the time her mother came home with no news of her father, but with a bit of brilliant red cloth, four brass buttons, and six thimbles, for which she'd traded a load of dried fish, Omakayas was rocking Niwo, as though she'd been doing so all day long, and her little brother was smiling in his sleep. The month of picking heartberries went by. Little Pinch jumped off a low branch and made a huge gash just over his eye. Blood came pouring down, and he seemed both proud of himself and sorry for himself, and he selfishly hogged attention for his injury to the point where Omakayas could hardly bear it. Mama was constantly preoccupied with him. Of course, that left Niwo more and more to Omakayas's hands, and she didn't mind that. After the hours they'd spent in freedom, it always seemed to Omakayas that she and her little brother exchanged a secret knowledge in their smiles. Grandma began to call Little Pinch by a new name, Big Pinch, because he grabbed handfuls of food and tried to stuff his face. He was very slow learning manners. It was hard to teach him. He had an eager, greedy, pushing nature. Omakayas liked him less with every day that passed, and wished desperately that someone, old Tallow, or her auntie Muskrat, perhaps, would ask Mama if they could keep him. <laughs> when he got on her nerves the worst she imagined and dreamed, maybe someone who'd lost a son would ask for Pinch, or maybe their father, Mikwam, would arrive and say he needed an always hungry little boy of five winters to accompany him on his next long trip. Hmm, the missionaries. They might want to use Pinch as an example, but of what? Hmm, things not to do? <laughs> he could live underneath the church. Something, anything, just a little relief. He was so annoying to Amakas that she found herself occasionally wishing a dreadful wish that an eagle or old grandfather owl might snatch him up and carry him to a high nest. She always stopped herself when her heart grew dark, but oh, these wishes were satisfying. It was a cool, dark summer night in the first days of blueberry picking time, and Omakas had just fallen asleep when something made her awaken, a dream or a sound. She lay quiet with her eyes just a tiny bit open, staring confusedly at the soft flames that occasionally flickered up among the coals that glowed in the fire pit. Omakas raised her head, drowsy. Grandma was wedged in, into a thick bearskin beside the door, snoring lightly, and Big Pinch was tumbled at her feet. Angeline was tucked neatly into her blanket on the other side of the door. Suddenly, a shiver of happiness and excitement ran down through Omakaya so strongly she feared she might cry out and wake everyone. Her heart jumped. She nearly threw off her robes to dance. Day-Day, her father, was home. There at the entrance, just barely lighted, her father's moccasins were heaped with mamas. His war were worn through, dirty, beaten up, although not missing a single bead of mamas' tight beadwork. Mamas on the other side were spruce and neat. They were her fancy ones, trimmed at the ankle with, with specially prepared ruff of white rabbit fur. Her mother's and father's moccasins always had a certain way of turning toward each other, Omakaes thought. Day-Day's moccasins were carefully made by Mama, and sometimes worn to shreds before she, he got home. Soft and open, they seemed relieved to flop inside the door and nestle into the safe embrace of Mama's pair. 
Her moccasins protected Dede's used-up ones, nuzzled them together, and seemed to be watching over and soothing away the many dangers of his footsteps. Drifting back to sleep, Omakias knew that by the time she woke, her mother would be cutting out a new pair of moccasins from the special moose hide she herself had tanned and smoked when the heart berries were first ripening. That thought brought her back to the memory of the bear mother. As she fell back into her dreams, she wondered, would she tell her father what happened? Would she ever tell anyone? Once more, she decided that she would keep the encounter to herself. Not only would she be scolded, maybe even laughed at, for playing with the bear cubs, but she was quite certain that no one else would understand. Omakaas curled even deeper into her blanket. Smiling in delight, she buried her face in the warm fur and fell at last into a heavy, dreamless sleep, knowing when she woke there would be father, tall, bold, strong, and joking, to swing her high in the air. Mama would laugh even more than usual. Angeline, too, shy and excited. There would be gifts, new things, special food. Grandma would cook mightily for a feast. Mama would sew on her father's moccasins. Uncles would come visit. Cousins, relatives to feast and listen to stories and tease endlessly. Baby Niwa would beg with his eyes for Day Day's songs. And Big Pinch would have to be good. <laughs>